Hello, and welcome to the Tea Leaves Podcast, where we bring Asia to you through conversations with the people whose lives and work are shaping the Indo-Pacific region. I want to know a story originally started off as about how do we bring you know, affordable financial inclusion to the masses? And, and this is really hard, right? Because it's, it's a, a problem that many have tried to solve, you know, be it microfinance companies, banks, you know, even the government. You know, I, I was shocked when I saw the statistics, over 95% of the Indonesian workforce are actually self-employed. They're all micro SMEs. It, it truly is the backbone of the, the Indonesian economy. The real innovation for Awantunai was that we discovered that transaction data, what these mom and pop grocery stores purchase every single week for inventory, is highly predictive for, for credit performance. And that's when, that was in early 2019, that's when Awantunai you know, built up this whole supply chain digitization or, or e-commerce platform where through our business SaaS solutions, we would capture a lot of these supply chain transactions. I'm Rexon Yu, Managing Partner at The Asia Group. This special episode, presented by The Asia Group in partnership with Bloomberg, highlights the Infinity Forum, a new flagship conference hosted by the government of India and Bloomberg. The Asia Group served as Bloomberg's knowledge partner for the forum, which convened just a few days ago with entrepreneurs, policymakers, and other leading figures to discuss fintech's development, and its potential to promote financial inclusion in India and throughout Asia. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dino Satiawan, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Awantunai and an advisor to the Infinity Forum. Awantunai is an Indonesian startup providing financial and digital e-commerce tools to brick-and-mortar wholesalers and small-scale entrepreneurs in the greater Jakarta area. Awantunai has been recognized by several United Nations agencies for the potential of its business model to expand financial inclusion for micro, small, and medium enterprises, MSMEs, if you will. And in 2020, it was named FinTech of the Year by the Association of Southeast Asian Nations and the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Dino, thank you very much for joining us. It's really great to have you here. My pleasure, Rexon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So let's just jump in and maybe start off by talking a little bit about your company, Awantunai. It'd be great to get an overview of what you do, what it is, the mission it seeks to fill, the idea behind the company, and you know how you're striving to achieve, you know, to use your words, quote, a holistic financing solution for micro-merchants. Give us a little more on your company, Dino. Thank you, Rexon. Perhaps, you know, a little bit about my, my origins will help better understand, you know, what we're trying to achieve here. You know, after 12 years of investment banking, you know, I, I felt it was time for a change in, in my career and uh, went back to business school. And this was back at Stanford in 2011. And that's why I saw the rise of peer-to-peer in the U.S. with uh, Lending Club and Prosper. And I thought, wow, what a great business model to bring back to, to Asia. But back in 2012, after I graduated, the, the digital ecosystem was really non-existent in Asia. So it, it wasn't quite ready yet. And it really took until 2016 when I came back to, to Indonesia to really see that, well, okay, ecosystem is still thin, but now there, there's enough infrastructure here, digital infrastructure, such as you know, digital signatures and, and, and the start of e-commerce to, to really 
bring on board a financial solution. Now, I went to my story originally started off as, well, how do we bring you know, affordable financial inclusion to the masses? And, and this is really hard, right? Because it's, it's a, a problem that many have tried to solve, you know, be it microfinance companies, banks, you know, even the government. You know, I, I was shocked when I saw the statistics. Over 95% of the Indonesian workforce are actually self-employed. They're all micro SMEs. It, it truly is the backbone of the, the Indonesian economy. Yet, you know, so few of them are able to access formal bank financing. In part, it was, it was holding back a lot of the, the economic growth in Indonesia. So, you know, we actually spent two years trying to find some kind of financing solution in this space, and, and we couldn't do it. Uh, you know, in business, sometimes a lot of it is, is luck, and, and, I, and I truly do believe that. You know, two years, 10 different products, we just couldn't find product market fit. Like, like the, the risk return parameters didn't work. I mean, yes, if we're ready to charge payday lending rates, you know, 300, 400% APR, yeah, you know, we can make it work. But, but you know, our vision right from the start with, with my co-founders is how can we deliver, you know, 2% per month money, you know, to, to, to really power this, this economic backbone. And we just couldn't get the risk working with the publicly available data. So after two years of experimentation, we it, 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 the story is, was actually serendipity. We we were trying to meet a supplier, uh, the supplier didn't turn up, and we walked into a convenience store, like a, a mom and pop convenience store in Indonesia. And 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 there, uh, you know, the proprietor, you know, he only had a small shop doing maybe ten thousand dollars a month in sales. He said, "Oh, look, you know, you should talk to this other supplier just around the corner." And when we walked in. It was being run by one of the, the second generation. So the, the owner started it uh, in the 1960s. And the second generation guy was really keen on technology. And he was open to actually adopting some of our digital financing. And the real innovation for Awantunai was that we discovered that transaction data, what these mom and pop grocery stores purchase every single week for inventory, is highly predictive for, for credit performance. And that's when that was in early 2019. That's when Awantunai, you know, built up this whole supply chain digitization or, or e-commerce platform where through our business SaaS solutions, we would capture a lot of these supply chain transactions, like mom and pop, you know, grocery store ordering for their inventory, fulfillment of that inventory, payment, and of course, how we monetize through the embedded financing. So, sorry, that's a bit long-winded. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that, that was kind of Awantunai's journey to reach this point. And, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I wish with hindsight we would have stumbled upon it a lot sooner. <laughs> so the secret sauce, Dino, is you now are building, are able to capture and build data, private data, about the performance of these small, micro, medium-sized enterprises. And that data allows you to basically more accurately predict credit risk. And, and that drives down the cost of money in some respects. Is that? Yes, spot on. So, you know, the specific data we're talking about is transaction data, detailed transaction data, right down to the SKU units that's being purchased. The important thing about this data is that it needs to be validated. So this is the mom and pop grocery store, right? your, your corner convenience store, Purchasing their inventory, which they typically do, you know, a few times uh, a month or, or weekly, that data is being captured by systems because the micro merchant 
has our mobile app. They order the inventory through the app. So that goes through our fulfillment system, which is uh, installed at the supplier. So all these wholesalers, distributors, they run with our order management system to, to run fulfillment. So the order comes in and then the supplier will say that, yes, we have the inventory available to fulfill it. And then through our payment acceptance at the supplier as well, the, the merchant can either pay through our embedded financing, kind of like a buy now, pay later for, for inventory, uh, or they can just pay cash. Both is accepted. And I just want to spend a moment to, to kind of highlight the real importance of, of this data and the validation. Because when you use kind of like um, an app that you know hundreds of thousands of, of micro-merchants can use, that's a lot of user input data that's highly unreliable because people can just enter in anything into that app. But the key to know whether it's a real transaction or not, it's, it's being fulfilled from our backend system, which is running in all these suppliers. That's when we know the transaction is real. And this really overcomes a lot of problems in the larger e-commerce space where there's this problem of round tripping. Fake online merchants with fake customers, just round tripping, you know, fake transactions, fake reviews. There's, a, there's unfortunately a lot of that happening in e-commerce, and that makes it very difficult to lend into that space because as a lender, you're not sure if this is a real power merchant or is it a fraudster. So, so give me a sense after you, this started to take off, Dino, what kind of scale are we talking about over the last, I think, two years or so? Give us a sense of, of the reach now of Awan Tunai. Sure. We've served 25,000 micro-merchants. We have 200 suppliers in our network, probably doing $1.5 in gross sales uh, you know, per annum. And, and this was over the space of uh, two and a half years. We grew the business with a, a paltry $5 million budget. So it's a, it's a model that, that we know is, is profitable. It's strong. And yeah, now, now it's since now that we've validated, uh, in a way, the, the operational metrics, the proof of concept, uh, now we're ready to scale up. And you need to scale up, as I, as I understand this, on both the side of the equation for retailers and then suppliers as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's the classic kind of platform issue of supply and demand, right? Our, our supply comes from distributors and suppliers. And on the demand side, us from the small micro-merchants. I do want to point out, though, though, we are not a true marketplace in terms of we're just matching you know, random merchants to random suppliers. The merchants that we're, we're serving are actually the existing merchants of these suppliers. And, and this is a critical component of, of this embedded financing because you know, I'm an ex-banker. I know of the long, sad history of you know, microfinance failures, uh, sort of microfinancing programs that have failed. And a large part of our solution is not just technology-driven. It is a hybrid solution where because we're working with suppliers who know these merchants, who are the borrowers, that you're leveraging off a very powerful relationship there. You know, in the U.S., uh, think of it as the relationship you would have with your credit union versus your bank. I, I understand there is slight differences there. And that relationship between supplier and merchant is so powerful that the supplier is willing to partially guarantee the credit risk. And this is very powerful because when the merchant, let's say, goes delinquent, because the supplier is on the hook for some of that NPL, they can actually say to the merchant, hey, you really need to pay Awantunai's financing here, otherwise I have to stop supply. And, and that is very powerful because, you know, a large 
you know, burden in collections, which is a very inefficient way of managing risk, right? You've got to send human beings to, to, to talk to, to people at their homes. None of that is really necessary anymore. Like a lot of traditional collections is trying to find people who have ran away, who have skipped, and then trying to engage with them. Whereas we've already got that engagement. Like we have no problems finding our, our borrowers because they, we're working with their suppliers. So I think you used the stat at the start of our conversation, Dino, that 95% of the workforce is self-employed. Is that what you said? Correct. And my team has given me you know, a, an equally sort of striking stat in Indonesia that there are 64 million micro, small, or medium-sized enterprises in Indonesia or thereabouts, plus or minus. Yeah, you could say o- almost every household <laughs> is running their own business. <laughs> <laughs> so- how are you thinking about scaling up? Building trust is really the key here. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm actually very saddened that in Indonesia, fintech kind of got off uh, onto a negative perception. You know, as a, as a, it's, it's still a very new industry. And it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of um, online payday lenders kind of jumped on the fintech bandwagon in Indonesia. And, and they've really caused a negative perception in, in the public uh, space, especially there's a lot of illegal lenders as well doing egregiously horrible things on, on the collection side. Now, you know, there's obviously a very big difference between productive SME you know, financiers versus your consumer payday uh, lenders that are out there. Um, so trust is an issue, uh, you know, from the financing side. And even trust is issue from a general technology side. A lot of e-commerce companies have tried to emulate Amazon, right? Where they'll say, okay, we're going to get supply right from the top of the supply chain, from the principal or the factory. We're going to bypass all the middlemen and, and provide it directly to the consumer or, or end retailer. And this has, has caused essentially a tussle, right? That, that like the e-commerce industry is trying to disrupt the existing supply chain structure. And, and again, some, some unsavory things have happened where, where, you know, some, Tech companies have tried to steal customers from the existing uh, supply chain, so so there's this real trust problem. So so coming back to scaling, once we've established this trust, it's that you know it's a very the wholesaling community is actually very tight knit. They all talk to each other, and they all know that oh man, there's all these e-commerce guys trying to disrupt us, you know, essentially replace them, right? So coming in as a trusted player, and and we've worked very hard. Uh, over the years to really build up uh, our brand as we are coming in here to modernize your business. We promise never to get into the distribution business. Like, you you know, we would not try to do the same business as our customers. That's in our creed and that's critical to to building the trust. And uh, um, our key selling point is through our technologies and through the embedded financing that's attached to it, we will essentially turn use suppliers into kings. We want to become the kingmaker as opposed to replacing them with whatever, you know, uh, reinvention of the wheel that, that we put into the supply chain. And, and that, I think, is, is one of the critical factors of scaling up because a lot of the other players out there, again, they're trying to emulate business models that have worked in other countries, be it China, US, India. And I think Indonesia is fairly unique, right? The, the relationships at the micro-merchant level are extremely strong. It takes a very high amount of promotions and incentives to, to actually break that supplier relationship, to convince a micro-merchant to, hey, stop buying at your traditional supplier. 
come by on my e-commerce platform. But that's not what you're trying to do, right? You're not trying to break that relationship. Absolutely not. I'm trying to leverage that relationship by actually working together with the suppliers and say, hey, let us digitize your business. Bring all your existing customer base. It's a captive market, right? And, and that really helps with customer acquisition. We don't have to do the hard slog of trying to capture every single micro merchant. We sign up one supplier and that's hundreds, if not thousands of micro merchants straight onto our service. So for you, it sounds like if you grow your relationships on the, on the supplier side, that opens up orders of magnitude, more merchants as you pursue growth there. Absolutely. Think of it as a network effect where because we're partnering up with suppliers with their own existing networks, as we add more and more suppliers you know, onto our, to our platform, that brings in that, as you say, order of magnitude of micro emergence. And in what you do, so you're collecting this, this trove, growing trove of transaction data. Correct. Is there, in Indonesia, is there sensitivity around this accumulation of transaction data of merchant behavior does it have you sensed any questions on that front you know surprises as you've tried to grow this model well i think indonesia with a, amongst a lot of other countries are gravitating towards the the european standard right the, the gdrp which is you know very tight and strict in terms of personally identifiable information so a lot of the the information that's sensitive you know obviously your typical kyc information tax file number, your social uh, security ID, you know, certainly anything that can identify you personally. And this includes mobility information, such as your GPS location, what your, you know, a lot of the uh, information on the, the mobile device. Now, the great thing is we're not actually capturing any PII because what we're capturing is business transactions, right? It's a shop, a convenience store purchasing their inventory. So it's more business proprietary tr- transaction data, which I think is, is somewhat different from you know, personally identifiable information, which is more kind of consumer focused. So for now, we feel this is more the type of data that, that any kind of transaction bank would have. Like a lot of SME banks simply run with payment processes. So that it's similar to that type of data. But I would like to add, the real power behind our data is for the first time now, we can actually estimate the true income of a micro you know, convenience store. Because when we know what they're purchasing, we know the SKU breakdown, whether they're purchasing drinks, detergents, soap, snacks. And typically each product category, category has some kind of general margin attached to it, you know, 10, 15%. Or it's like, I mean, cigarettes typically have very low margins. Things like branded shampoos have higher margins. So we have a very good idea to estimate what the true household income of a micro merchant is. And that has never been possible before because it's all cash transactions, face-to-face physical transactions. Now, this is extremely powerful data because now you can start cross-referencing that powerful information with other things. So let's say with mobility analytics, we can see how long that merchant is actually opening his store for because we know the type of uh, mobility patterns that's associated with running a shop we know their opening hours you know we can start detecting certain patterns oh merchants that open longer for certain like you know towards the end of the week they're either making more money or less money and that's that's just one example but the key thing is knowing what their kind of proxy income is so so that's 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 what makes it very powerful 
That's really, really an interesting observation. Can I ask you a slightly different dimension on this, Dino? And and that is, I mean, you mentioned your observations around the the approach by some taking a more traditional e-commerce approach. Um, I have to think that in Indonesia, you also see not just people trying to replicate kind of the the massive e-commerce platforms that you know we're familiar here in the U.S., but but that some of these platforms are interested in the Indonesian market. And my question is, in as you look at the competition and the space trying and, and the folks trying to fill this space, how do you see the role of government, of the Indonesian government? Well, I, I think they have a, a huge role to play, right? Uh, you know, in the emerging uh, economies, uh, red tape, right, tends to be a major concern. You know, and, and it's because the public sector is a huge employer. So there, there are these large bureaucracies out there. And yeah, I'm an ex-investment banker, right? Morgan Stanley. I, I even give the same advice to our kind of corporate clients back then. You, you know, certainly corporate clients need to have a strong local partner uh, to navigate this this bureaucracy. Because right now, you know, yes, there's been uh, progress, but uh, I know international investors, you know, used to kind of Western economies, certainly want a lot more certainty, you know, both on legal uh, enforceability of contracts, just in terms of well, what what licensing regime you know is needed uh, and, and there's you know there's a lot of gray areas in the indonesian economy as in in other kind of emerging markets so there certainly is a large role for government to play to, to help foster you know larger players entering the indonesian market uh, but also for for you know incumbent you know innovation like, like in, in the incumbent tech sector in indonesia that also I think needs government uh, support uh, and, and support not in terms of subsidies or, or you know grants that type of thing but but in terms of just regulatory clearances regulatory freedoms uh, so that we can actually expand and grow are you bumping up against some of those at on large well of course because we all know VCs tend to pattern invest right they say oh this business model worked in the US or in China we're now we're going to hunt the rest of the world for similar business models. Let me share a story with you. There's been many Chinese companies who've tried to apply Chinese business models in Indonesia, failed. Same with Indian business models in Indonesia, failed. And I'll give you one one very simple example. The Chinese kind of user is very tech savvy, right? If you look at some of the Chinese super apps, they're so dense, full of information. Now, you go to the Indonesian consumer, they're very tech unsavvy. Right, uh, you know, I almost half joke to my product teams like, guys, you just need to make an app with one button in the middle. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. right? You know, we, we've done some testing upstream in the supply chain right? because you know we're downstream where you've got wholesalers and then you know convenience stores. But when you go up in the supply chain, you end up with a lot of small micro farmers as well. And we tried for two months to try and educate just a, a small group of farmers to use our app. And we, again, we tried to make the app as simple as possible. They couldn't do it. Two months. And, you know, so there's, there's real barriers there. And so when all these fancy kind of high-tech Chinese apps came in, <laughs> none of it worked. Um, you know, there, there's just differences in the quality of telco data. Uh, so, so there's so many different things in, in Indonesia that I think makes it fairly unique where people assume that, an Amazon or an Alibaba is possible in Indonesia. I would just say that, do you realize that there's only 10 major conglomerates that control the entire supply chain in Indonesia? At, you know, principles are king of the hill in Indonesia. They're so strong 
that over the decades, they've made sure their downstream supply chain is highly fragmented so that no distributor can push back against them. Now, are they really going to let a king of distribution arise? I mean, they've seen what Alibaba did to all those poor suppliers in China, squeeze them for all the margin. So there's dynamics in Indonesia where, yeah, you know, um, it takes a local to understand. <laughs> so your observation, right? So you talked about how the structure and nature of these relationships in Indonesia is unique, right? It's, if we reverse, reverse the arrow here and say, well, do you see similarities in other countries to the Indonesian market and what has enabled success for you in Indonesia? Do you see that elsewhere as you look around your region, aspects of India, other countries, you know, where you've got a, a similar type of large bulge of micro, small and medium sized enterprises? Absolutely. I mean, investors do ask me, oh, you know, when is Awantunai going regional or international? When, of course, you know, we, we want to be dominant in Indonesia first. But the analysis that we go through is really, well, how fragmented is the supply chain? And let me give two examples. Let's say Vietnam, fairly similar, very fragmented uh, supply chain. Um, and a lot of this supply chain doesn't have proper access to financing. So, so that's a great space for us. But let's say take Thailand. Again, the Thailand supply chain is, is controlled by a lot of the conglomerates and, and, and they're vertically integrated. So the factories that produce, you know, the instant noodles or, or the consumer goods owns the distributors, owns the wholesalers, right down to the end retailers. Now, in that type of supply chain, uh, our program won't work. So, so that's how, how we would look at it. And certainly there's far more, you know, fragmented downstream supply chains there are than, than vertically integrated ones uh, out in the emerging markets. So even, you know, places like East Africa, we see our model uh, fairly applicable there as well. Well, Dino, I want to ask you one last question just because, you know, we're, we're still living through it, unfortunately. But how has COVID and the pandemic impacted you? Because I think a lot of the growth that we've been talking about, the success has occurred, if I have my, you know, basic math correct, during the pandemic. Yeah, there's an interesting impact from the pandemic for, for us. On our kind of technology adoption, you know, people using the app to order, that has certainly taken off, you know, up to 40, 50% month-on-month growth, very strong. But on the lending side of things, and, and this was actually a very difficult decision for us as, as a business, micro SMEs have typically very little safety buffer, uh, very little working capital, you know, almost zero capacity to, to absorb economic shocks. So we had to drop a lot of the much smaller uh, micro merchants, you know, during the start of the pandemic because it, they were just too vulnerable. It, you know, as a business, sometimes it's, it's difficult, uh, especially as an impact business. At what stage do you say that, you know what, I can't help these customers anymore because it's fallen into the realm of government and charity. Right? I mean, as a business, we, we need to make sure that embedded financing gets repaid. Um, and, and there was some very tough decisions early on in the pandemic. So, it, it was too pronged for us. Yes, we certainly got, you know, a huge acceleration in terms of uh, technology adoption, but on, on the monetization side, in terms of our embedded financing that finances the inventory purchases, that we had to kind of take a step back in the, in the early parts of the pandemic. We are starting to creep that back up again. Thankfully, in Indonesia, cases are, are very low. It feels that, wow, it, you just 
you, you don't even hear about it anecdotally anymore. And certainly the official stats have shown that, that you know, figures are down to the hundreds you know, of cases per day now. So uh, we hope that, you know, once the supply chain normalizes, uh, you know, we can return back to our, to our normal kind of a service levels on embedded financing. Well, Dino, thank you so much for taking the time to share a bit about Awan Tunai and the success, the model, the vision, the prospect for growth of your uh, fintech platform in Indonesia and possibly elsewhere. We really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Rexon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dino. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this special edition of the Tea Leaves podcast presented by the Asia Group and Bloomberg. Please be sure to rate and follow Tea Leaves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.